Welcome to Bookstore Explorer, the show where we go behind the shelves with booksellers to celebrate the magic of independent bookstores. I'm author and bookseller Matt Browning, and this is episode number 50. I do want to say a quick thank you right here at the top to all of you who listen to and support the show. It is such a pleasure and an honor, really, to share the stories of these shops that come on. Um, and today's shop is really an historic one. The Potter's House is a nonprofit cafe, bookstore, and event space in the Adams Morgan neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Since opening its doors in 1960, it has been a key place for deeper conversation, creative expression, and community transformation. Joining me to discuss the Potter's House, from their rich history to their books to the commendable ways they give back to their community, are Executive Director Andrea Lewis and bookseller Eliza Cohen. So come along as we go bookstore exploring. Welcome to Bookstore Explorer. It is so nice to 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 meet and to see and listen to the both of you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. I tell you, I was doing my, you know, my pre-show research and there is such a rich history to the Potter's House that I cannot wait to get into it. But first things first, I always have our guests sort of walk us through the physical space of the shop. Um, so let's pretend I just walked in the front door. Kind of walk me around and tell me what I would see. We are a mix of uh, older buildings and some newer construction. You would be coming in uh, off of the street where we have a, a lovely tree uh, out front, of wide windows, uh, let in the light uh, with, you know, some artistically uh, scripted words like coffee and books and community. Uh, Once you come in, there would be a small display with a chalkboard above it. Right now it is autumnal favorites, but it changes season to season and uh, topic to topic. Above that, there is a cork board, which will have uh, information about events. On your right, there would be uh, some spots by the window for customers to sit, as well as three display tables with uh, a monthly theme. This month is Native American Heritage Month. So we have a selection of uh, books to decolonize your bookshelf. And beyond that, new releases. There are bookshelves against the wall with uh, our regular backlist, um, a backlist stock uh, on that side. It would be social science, cooking, history, science. Uh, in the middle of the shop, there's a long table with perennial favorites, ranging from pleasure activism, for instance, to, let me think, uh, parable of the sower to uh, around the world and 80 plants. That changes uh, here and there, but there, you know, since it is our perennial favorites, there are some longstanding that are always there, such as on the fire next time. Beyond that, there is the counter where you could get coffee and food. Uh, I know, I do, I do not do that part, but we have an excellent staff who uh, does. And around, if you went in a kind of a circle around that middle island, you would get to more seating. We have uh, dark, dark wooden tables, really rich, almost uh, ruddy wood to them. It's really quite beautiful. And brick, uh, brick walls that are original to the building. Um, you can see them behind Andrea right now. Um, that wall of photos you see right above Andrea's head 
has newspaper articles from the Potter's House's history ranging back to 1960, and of course, the Church of the Savior. Uh, on the wall opposite, uh, next to the seating area, there is uh, local DC books, their spirituality, philosophy, self-help, fiction, um, a whole range, and it's available for browsing just or wandering. And there's another display table towards the front on that side, uh, which has multiple tiers of books. Uh, tried to, you know, we tried to give it a good sense of depth and architecture. Uh, and then more seating by the windows. It, I think, has a very warm atmosphere, uh, the brick, the wood. And of course, I think, you know, uh, not to too self-congratulatory, but, you know, staff as well. Uh, yeah. You mentioned, and I'm looking, Andrea, behind your head, <laughs> which our listeners clearly cannot see, but you mentioned, you know, the history of the shop going back to 1960. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did a little bit of homework, like I said, but it's such a rich history. Can you can you take us back to 1960 and the origins of the Potter's House and tell us tell us how it came to be? Sure. Well, the Potter's House actually comes from, as I mentioned, a... Uh, a progressive church that was founded in the late 1940s by Gordon Crosby. Um, Gordon Crosby. Uh, Crosby was, um, he was raised in a, uh, in a Christian household. His father was Baptist, mother Lutheran. And uh, he was, he was, he had already gone to, to you know, um, seminary and was a chaplain in uh, World War II. And when he came back, as a fairly young man, you know, younger than I am now, after seeing, um, you know, the devastation of war, he he wanted to make, he, he considered service to the community part of his faith, um, like many, like many people do, obviously. Uh, but Church of the Savior was uh, progressive from the beginning. It was one of the first integrated churches in Washington, D.C., was non-denominational um and they considered service part of their mission and um as well as uh they found many many different missions and Paul's house was one uh, a community coffee shop uh and though we have this background we are a general interest bookstore um i do try to keep a healthy spirituality section and we do have many church of the savior authors but we want to be you know we're a welcoming space for people any all and no faiths and uh well while i don't share Crosby's faith, I do share his values, and those war towards radical hospitality to inclusivity, uh, inclusivity, community, um, and mutual aid, and really, really about the ways people care for each other and the most vulnerable in our community. Matt, can I tell you a story, a brief one about the founding? doesn't even have to be Um, brief. (laughs) <laughs> I know. No, it's one of my favorite parts of the story, and it, it does appear in our history. Um, so the Cosbys were in New England visiting another church, and they were staying over a tavern. And when they went downstairs and spent time in this tavern, they were really enjoying that community feeling in there. And Gordon Cosby uh, supposedly said, you know, I wish the sermon that we had just heard was half as good as the feeling we're getting here, uh, spending time down in the tavern with the people of the community who were there meeting and talking about what's happening in the community. And that um, 
that was definitely sort of viewed as the point of inspiration to make the potter's house a gathering place. And there were many churches um, by the mid sixties that wanted to replicate uh, the success that we saw here at the potter's house early on uh, with being a place for people to gather. Was it always the, the, the cafe, the bookstore, the community space from its beginning, was it always sort of that mixed space? It was. Um, it's looked different over the years. Um, so if you picture like 1960 reclaimed barnwood on the walls that was covering the brick you see now and white tablecloths, but very much about um, drawing in the community, you know, having artists display their work, having small theater productions. Um, and then really what you see now is much the same. Yes, I think on its surface, you see a lot of people taking advantage of the coffeehouse side of things or browsing books, but we do uh, both try to give back to the community, and that happens through the free meals that we distribute every day from our cafe side of the business, um, but also inviting folks into our space to hold their events. So tell me a little bit about the free meals that you give out and, the, and how you give back to the community. Um, the Potter's House, um, part of how we give back to the community is that we offer free meals daily to those in need. Uh, it's no questions asked. Someone comes in in need of a meal, and we're happy to offer it. Last year, we provided over 22,000 free meals to those in the community who needed that extra um, assistance and were very fortunate that um, we are able to do that through the generosity of other community members because that our free meals program is funded almost solely through donations of folks who come into the Potter's House or find out via our website that they can um, make a donation to help pay for a free meal for someone. I'm very curious to know, and I'll ask each of you this question, and Andrea, let's start with you. How did you get involved with the Potter's House, and what what drew you to it? The Coaching Conversation 2024. This podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area. We work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees. This podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies, frameworks, coaching models, and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation, greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. Sure. Um, so I had been working in the literature space for about 14 years before I came to the Potter's House, but not as a bookseller. So I was doing literary events of different types, um, you know, um, some involving uh, those who wrote books, but sometimes even with other writers and journalists as well, free public programming. Um, over in Maryland, not in D.C., but over in Maryland. Um, and I saw the job come up. I, you know, I've been doing the same thing for 14 years and enjoyed it, but was 
trying to keep an eye out for what I thought might be the next thing for me. And um, I, it does sound kind of hokey, but I saw the job description for executive director at the Potter's House. And I sent it to a friend and I was like, this is my job. This is my job. Um, and Aliza alluded to this already. You know, I think there are many of us who are here because the values upon which this place was founded really resonate with us. And I love the fact that that continues to today and that we do things like, like the free meals program so that we are giving back as well. Elisa, what about you? Uh, well, I was working as a bookseller at Busboys and Poets at the time. And uh, I knew I was, I knew someone, I knew that they were looking for uh, a bookseller. And um, I applied with one of my colleagues who, who um, left after about six months but they need someone to to just kind of take care of the book management um, as a whole. So book selling, buying, um, displays. And I just kind of found myself in the role. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a third generation bookseller uh, and studied, studied literature and religious studies in college. And um, they fit uh, the focus, um, albeit my religious studies was mostly can, you know, Judaism and uh, medieval mysticism. So a little earlier than uh, than Church of the Savior, uh, but also the social justice bent and the mission really uh, appealed to me quite strongly. I'm also a lifetime uh, Washingtonian born and raised. And so the history here did mean quite a bit to me. So how many books do you think you carry at any given time? Oh, my God. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm not sure. We're fairly, we're a fairly small bookstore. So let me think. Uh, do, do, do. I'm also really bad at estimating num like whenever there's those guess how many balls or whatever in this jar. I'm really bad at it. So I want to say that somewhere. I once did that with a jar of M&Ms and I was like four M&Ms off. <laughs> <laughs> Only like, I've ever been good at that. <laughs> like it's between three and 30 million. Um, no, I, I just made like 10,000 10, ish. That sounds right. Does that sound right to you, Andrea? Does that sound like a. Yeah, I think, I think I would say low end 7,000, high end 10,000, depending, depending on what we're carrying at the time. And I did want to mention um, if it's okay to reflect back on again, on something Aliza talked about. Um, the church itself was always very into social justice causes. We had a lot of activists um, checking in and holding meetings here back in the day. And that social justice focus is something that we maintain today in our collection of books, even though we have things beyond that. Um, and Eliza does, I feel, a fantastic job of of curating our collection. It's not, this is no slight to those who do carry the popular um, book talk titles, mm -hmm. but that's not really our focus here. And we're, we're actually very proud of, you know, carrying a lot of LGBTQ titles, um, having a lot to do with social justice and authors of color in addition to, you know, 
as part of our, our full collection that we have here in the store. That's kind of where I was going anyway. How do you determine, you know, what, with the square footage in the space that you have, how do you determine what, you know, gets onto the shelf? So well, hard. I, <laughs> uh, I think, I think, you know, um, ever since um, Amazon came onto the field, indie bookstores have needed to and successfully have cultivated uh, sort of unique personalities. No matter how no matter how large a physical space you have, you can't compete with the um, sort of horrifying uh, eldritch horror that is Amazon. You just can't. Um, so what you but what you get from an independent bookstore, and I'm sure you and all your listeners know, is a thoughtful curation. Uh, you get you know a person to talk to who can interact and kind of build on what you're saying. You also get someone who can check to make sure the books are you know not written well not written by AI now but in the past to check you know to make sure the books you have um, are credible. When I'm when uh, when I'm doing the work of a buyer, it's going through uh, upcoming and past catalogs, looking over you know, obviously my own preferences do play a role, but it's also kind of trying to see outside of what you as an individual like. Um, so even if I'm, I'm not, I'm a terrible cook, I, I'm an awful cook, but it's being able to look at, uh, look at cookbooks, look at food literature, kind of see, see what catches the eye of, of it catches the eye of those who are passionate or it catches passion. Um, sorry, that sentence got away from me there. Uh, and for us, I like to, I try to keep in mind those values I mentioned earlier about aid and community, progress, inclusivity. And I try to look at the books through those values and that lens. Um, and whether that's, you know, uh, a, polit a political science book or a manifesto or something, or if it's a, uh, if it's just like a romance or a poetry book or collection of essays, um, I try to kind of fit it into that. I try to see how that how it fits and flows with that with that ethos. Um, I'd like to think I'm reasonably successful, but obviously that's not really for me to say, is it? Um, yeah, and so that's kind of how we've built up uh, our collection, which is at this point mostly fiction social science and uh, uh spirituality i think yeah spirituality philosophy if we're coming up on the end of the the calendar year here what have been some of the titles that have sold well for you uh oh. this year well some big ones um yellow face obviously did very well we uh we i mean one of the ones that i i'm I mean, I've been pushing it quite hard, uh, and I'm so sorry to anyone who, who speaks Arabic. I'm not really going to butcher the pronunciation. Shubek Lubek, um, marvelous comic uh, about about wishes and jinn and um, the structures of the world around us. Uh, those are a couple of like the new ones that came out recently. Uh, Terraformers has been doing excellent. The um, newlets, uh, yeah, as well as some old some old regular favorites that sell beautifully. Um, All About Love is one of our best sellers by Bell Hooks. Um, Parable of the Sower, Parable of the Talents always do always do well. Uh, Fire Next Time. Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, those are some off the top of my head. Uh, I'm afraid I, without having the actual numbers in front of me, off the top of my head is the best I can do. Well, let me put a different spin on the question then. And this is one that I know my listeners like for me to ask. What are some, and this is another one of those, I'm going to ask each of you this question. So whoever wants to go first can. What are some of your personal favorite books to either hand sell or just favorite books that you love to have on the shelves, uh, you know, to recommend to customers who come in and say, hey, what is your favorite books to read? Um, so I know we've already mentioned Octavia Butler several times, uh, but I will forever recommend Kindred. It is one of, if not my absolute favorite, um, and has been for many, many years. Um, and then the two others who always float to the top for me um, are uh, Jasmine Ward and James McBride. I know they both have books with some buzz right now, uh, but they have been favorites of mine for a long time. Um, I really love James's uh, current book. Um, and uh, it's interesting to me how, uh, if you've read his work, you can see some of the influences of his background in music in different ways in his writing. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll stop there so that Eliza has a chance, but um, those, are, those are three authors off the top of my head who I am always recommending. I want to interject real fast and say my shop is a new and used blend. And we have a used copy of Deacon King Kong right now that it's been sitting on the shelf for longer than I think it should be sitting on the shelf. <laughs> like why is Absolutely. it has to book yet? Okay. I'm sorry. I'm trying to make sure I don't overwhelm you because I could go on. Um, uh, one of my pick three, pick three, pick three. Okay. <laughs> that's good. That's great. I can, I can do that. Um, Pleasure Activism by Adrian Marie Brown is a phenomenal book. Uh, it's one, as I mentioned, it's one of our one of our bestsellers, uh, in no small part because, well, I, I do hand sell it quite a bit. It's an anthology about, well, about pleasure in all its forms as a revolutionary act. Uh, I think it's a really, a really something of a revelation. Some of my favorite writing on on sexuality on uh, intoxicants on the body is in, is in that book. And one of the things I find most interesting is that it really can fit in quite a few categories. We have it in social science, but you could easily put it in philosophy, uh, in spirituality, in uh, personal growth, uh, honestly, sometimes even poetry. It's really, it's funny, it's rich and thoughtful. Uh, another one of my favorites is uh, pretty much anything by um, artist Kay O'Neill. Uh, they're a New Zealand artist who started with Princess Princess and now does really beautiful, gentle comics. They've, they've said they like to write um, kind of quiet, well, they've, they've said gentle, kind stories and they always, they have focus on community. Um they they uh, generally write really good queer characters, and their art is exquisite. Their newest, The Moth Keeper, I think is their best, and it's breathtaking. It, it's really uh, a beautiful story about community and ecology and about asking for help and finding it and about, about asking and receiving help as a form of strength, which was something I didn't see much in uh, youth literature when I was a kid. 
though the book is aimed at younger readers, I would recommend it for uh, readers of any age. And even if you're not that into comics, I would say give it a try. It's really an exquisite, an exquisite title. Uh, beyond that, uh, I tend towards fantasy uh, and horror, so that's my bias. Mm, I would probably have to say the Broken Earth trilogy, N.K. Jemisin, really amazing. It's, I believe it's the only time an, offers, an author has won three Hugos in a row for three books in the same series, and she absolutely deserved every single one of those Hugos, uh, aside from beautiful prose. Uh, character work is incredible um and the world building and the overarching story has a real sense of depth and time and distance and tragedy as well um if you're not familiar with the series it is quite uh quite intense at times but yeah i i think those are a really marvelous i think it's a marvelous uh story that's my that's one of my favorite questions to ask because i have discovered so many great books um so yeah, there's there's a few more I'll add to my list. <laughs> we haven't talked about events. Do you guys, I know you do events. Do you do a lot of author events at the shop? Yeah, I would say not as many as some stores. For us, um, we actually held out a little longer um, as far as the pandemic and restarting events. So during the pandemic, uh, things event-wise were very quiet here even though many other stores were just holding them their events virtually was very quiet here. There were, they were happening, um, but not as many. Um, so I feel to a degree um, like we're just gearing up again because it was only last summer that we opened our doors to have people come inside for events. And so we've done um, events with a lot of local authors um, and it's been, it's been going well so far, but it does feel a bit like folks are now not accustomed, not as accustomed to coming here for events. So we're, we're watching, we're watching folks come back um, slowly. But what we have been trying to do is for, um, most of the year hold at least a couple of author events a month. Um, and we have actually quite a few more than that this month and next month. So um, yeah, we'll see. Also with a small staff, I know that's not unusual for bookstores, uh, but we have a small enough staff that we're, we're trying to be careful about, about the number of events that we take on so that Everyone feels as though they've been treated well when they come to have their event here. So a couple of months, most of the months of the year is is what we've been working with for for about a year now. And I'm kind of jumping around here in my my topics of these questions, but I was trolling around your website, as I do before these tapings, and I saw something called the Page It Forward program. Is that something you could tell me a little about? We work, and, and Aliza will jump in if I, if I leave anything out. We work with DC Books to Prisons, um, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to provide books to those who are incarcerated. And the way that we do that is also by donation. So someone can see our little Books to Prisons display, um, make a $10 donation, and then we kind of... Um, frankly, squirrel that, those funds away for a month or so 
um, sometimes a little bit more than that. And it's as a, we remain in is when we, we put the orders on hundred dollars. Okay. Yeah, just so we can meet minimums with publishers uh and there get, we get go. the best deal. Yeah. Yeah. And then while we do have letters from um those who are incarcerated that talk about which books they want, we actually work with DC books to prisons, regardless of what that says. What's what are folks looking for at the time? They're really mostly examples that you see in store. Um, and we get those updated periodically, but, you know, depending on how much we've taken in, it may be those books, it may be some additional books, it may be a completely different request from DC Books to Prisons. But we're lucky to be able to work with them in that way. It's, it's, it's such a tough thing getting, getting books to prisoners. And I know um, if anyone has tried to do that in their state, um, even institution to institution, it can really vary a lot as far as, as making literature available to those folks. I think uh, the difficulties and the amount of uh, restrictions and the inconsistency in the restrictions uh, for imprisoned readers is it's it's a disgrace, really, to not to put too fine a point on it. Um, and I think if people were more aware, if you've ever tried to get a book or even a letter to uh, someone incarcerated, just the sheer difficulty of it would really bring home the uh, the intense, the injustices in our carceral system. Uh, I knew it intellectually, but before I was, but until I was working with DC Books of Prisons, I didn't realize the extent of the difficulty and, uh, and just how bad things were. Um, yeah, that may be naivete on my part, but, uh, but yeah, but from I, I do think most people would be surprised by that. So as we as we you know get to the end of each of these shows, I always ask this next question. So it's another one that I would love to hear both of your responses to. Um, and it's it's this concept that that people always say to me: bookstores are magical places. Um, so I always ask each guest, what is their take on the concept of bookstore as magical place? So I'd love to hear, again, hear both of your your takes on that. Um, I agree with that. <clears throat> I thought that I had, um, when you asked for the description of, <clears throat> excuse me, of our store, if you were to walk in, is for our store specifically, um, there's just a really great vibe in here. And at first I thought I was the only one using that term. Um, but then I heard several other people using it as well to describe what it felt like to come into Potter's house. And while I do feel that our vibe is unique, I do, I, I also think that that is one of the things that makes independent bookstores uh, feel magical or special. Um, it's a very different feel when you walk into a space and get to interact with staff uh, at an independent bookstore. And I do think that that's part of the magic. It's, you know, uh, it's a different look. Um, I, I do think uh, almost on almost all counts, uh, it's a different experience interacting with our staff. And, you know, we have an opportunity to make these individual experiences special for people. And I think that that is very much something that folks who work in independent bookstores 
uh, enjoy about working there. And I think it's something that the public enjoys about coming into an independent bookstore. Elisa, what about you? Well, that's a big question. Uh, I think booksellers as a whole, no matter where exactly you are uh, in the in the process of, of book publishing and selling, I think we're idealists. Uh, I think we have to be by nature. The we're, I think we're in a particularly, it feels like a tenuous time for, for literature and for uh, independent, independent shops and uh, an artist right now with, you know, book censorship skyrocketing um, with the big retailers kind of dominating everything. It, it worries me. Um, but I, I mean, this sounds really sentimental and, and hokey, but I believe very much in the power of of literature, um, of language, of books themselves as a means of of processing and experiencing information. Uh, part of that is, as I mentioned, I'm a third generation bookseller. My grandfather ran a independent bookstore uh, on the island. My mom's from Curacao, a book on And when it closed, I think that was a real a real loss. And once again, maybe that's my self-congratulatory kind of again or family mythology but um i think bookstores obviously i'm sure you hear us a lot you know they bring communities together they bring people together but i think access to literature is a vital part of a good life i think it's a i, I don't like saying i don't like talking about things in terms of rights because i think that's a very nebulous concept but if i if you can say something is a right i think a right to read and uh, a right to experience art are fundamental to being human. Um, and I think when we give into sort of monopolization of the field, we lose a great deal. We lose uh, a great deal of nuance um, and artistry and strangeness to, uh, to sort of the literary landscape and the artistic landscape. And I think that makes ours, I think that makes all of our lives smaller. I think it makes people. I think it makes people less thoughtful. I think it makes people more isolated, more afraid, easier to control. And I think that's why. I think that's why there's so much controversy right now over, over, uh, over access to books and access to literature. And I, it's a really. Uh, I think that really betrays just the importance of books. So yeah, I. It's a really it's a, sorry. That's too grand a statement. It sounds very, you know, intense. But but yes, that's that's why I think uh, independent bookstores have to offer us is that sort of that nuance, that rich landscape of literature and literary arts. That's the perfect note to end on. I want to thank both of you for joining me today. And before we go, tell us where folks can find you. Um, Toss out your social media handles, your website, your your physical address, all of those things. Sure. <clears throat> Happy to do that because I, I sometimes say we're, you know, for as long as we've been around, we're, uh, we're a somewhat well-kept secret here in D.C. Um, so as Lisa mentioned at the top, we are located in Adams Morgan. We are at 1658 Columbia Road and we're open Tuesdays through Sundays. You can find us um, on all social media platforms at Potter's House DC is our handle on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're not currently on 
on on TikTok or not currently active on TikTok, although we have an account and can be tagged. Um, and I do want to make one distinction because we were founded by the church and um, uh, uh, named the Potter's House, which is a reference in the Bible to the Bible. Um, the DC at the end is important or else you might come up with a church uh, <laughs> if you're looking for us on social media versus, uh, versus it's a Texas megachurch. I'm sorry. Oh, it's a Texas megachurch. We've had books accidentally delivered there, which it was a little awkward. <laughs> I always say this at the end of each show with the best of intentions. And I always say, I would love to come and visit the shop someday, but DC is a city that I actually get to a couple times a year. So I will put oh. you on my list for my next visit. Please. Yeah, I'd love to help you find something to read. Oh, I would also say if you could you could check us out on bookshop.org, um, Pars House DC. You'll know us for the long idealistic statement at the top. Uh, we have lots of uh, various reading lists and recommendations curated by your local independent bookseller. And yeah, it's a great way to support us and to support indie bookstores, uh, even if you can't physically be there. And the CEO, Andy Hunter, was on the podcast a little while back. Oh, yeah. so oh, listeners, awesome. if you're I, uh, with Bookshop, give that episode. Yeah. I saw him at Winter Institute in 2019 when he launched. I, I don't think he realized, you know, uh, not, sorry, not 2019, 2020. I don't think he realized how integral it would be when a, you know, pandemic shut everyone down. Yeah, that's that's a lesson they had to learn really quickly. <laughs> well they did i mean they were yeah. a real lifesaver for us it was they it's been incredible yeah well again thank you both it's been a pleasure to meet you and uh hopefully i'll see you in person sometime indeed soon. yeah thank Absolutely. you for having me thank you bookstore explorer is produced and hosted by me matt browning our theme music is come right back to you by max hickson you can follow all my bookstore explorations at bookstoreexplorer.com or on Instagram and Facebook at Bookstore Explorer. And follow us on Twitter at Bookstore EXPLR. Thanks for listening.